great to be here. Thank you for the prayers that I got through texts and emails this morning. And uh, Pastor Dave, as you all know, and, and Guy are in Jerusalem. And, and Pastor Dave texted me last night. And he said, we've been praying for you. And, and my response was to him, well, thank you for you know, thinking of me. And I told him, it's an honor and a privilege to be, praying, or to be preaching uh, with you again today. And the other side of that is the joy with that comes with that burden. A lot of times we have burdens in our life, but it's such a joy to be here and share the good news of Jesus Christ and to be in His Word as we are going to today. So on that, just a reminder, next week is Sanctity of Life. We're taking a break from our Luke um, expository preaching schedule on that. So we're going to be in Proverbs next week and, again, Sanctity of Life next week. So pray ahead for that as Pastor Dave gets ready for that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do give you thanks and praise for another beautiful day that you have given us. Father God, we know that, that you are in control of the universe. As we saw this past week, at least in our area with the snow and the rain and, and the icy roads, Father God, thank you that you are in charge, that we do follow you. And Father God, thank you so much that you sent your Son on the cross to die for our sins. And Holy Spirit, be with each and one of us here this morning. Just open our hearts and our minds as the scriptures that we have before us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The text for this morning is taken from Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 13. Again, Luke chapter 11, 1 through 13. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And we had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, Yet, because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of him give a a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? This is the Word of the Lord. Alright, here's a couple of questions for us this morning. When was the last time that you recited the Lord's Prayer? When was that last time? How has your prayer life been lately? My prayer life occasionally has been up and down. But think about that. When was the last time that we actually sat down in our prayers and read the Lord's Prayer? 
Well, some of you know, me, and gro- me growing up in a Lutheran church, every week we recited the Lord's Prayer. We did that every week. And even in confirmation, we were told, we were taught the explanation of the Lord's Prayer. So that was my background in Lord's Prayer. To be honest with you, the last time I did it was over a year ago at my dad's church, where I was confirmed at that I recited the Lord's Prayer. Yes, I have read it in scriptures, but just like anything else, you just kind of read over and not understand the full grasp of the Lord's Prayer. But I tell you what, but preparing for the sermon, I dedicated myself every day, January 1st until last night, I prayed the Lord's Prayer based in Luke, and then I went to Matthew. And I tell you what, by doing that, I was shown so much by the Holy Spirit, by the Word, that I have a different take on the, on the uh, Lord's Prayer and how it's going to influence my prayer life in the future. The whole purpose of this message does not rest solely on the Lord's Prayer, but also with the two variables and talking about the Holy Spirit as we see in verse 13. Puritan pastor Thomas Brooks wrote about prayer. The power of religion and godliness lives, thrives, or dies as closet prayer lives, thrives, or dies. Godliness never rises to a higher pitch than when men keep closest to their closets. Private prayer is a privy key of heaven that unlocks all the treasures of glory of the soul. The best riches and the sweetest mercies God usually gives to His people when they are in their closets upon their knees. The graces of the saints are enlivened and cherished and strengthened by the sweet secret influences which their souls fall under when they are in closest communion with God. Amen to that. Of course, we have a model that was been taught from this pulpit about a year, year and a half ago. Pastor Dave occasionally reminds us of the Acts model of prayer. I follow that model of prayer when I pray a lot. And of course, A stands for what? Adoration. C stands for confession to God. And T is thanksgiving to God. And of course, S is supplications to God. That type of prayer and that model is perfect, at least in my life. I don't know about, about you. But I encourage all of us here this morning, we've got to see what Jesus teaches us and how to pray the text that lays before us. Jesus prayed throughout His ministry. We see that in the, in the Gospels, that Jesus prayed. He prayed at His baptism before He chose the twelve disciples. He prayed at His transfiguration. And obviously the di- disciples knew that He prayed. Remember that Jesus many times would step away from the, from the apostles and disciples. What? He prayed. He prayed alone to God. He is our model. If Jesus Christ, the Son of God, had to depend on prayer during His life here on, on this earth, how much more do you and I need to rely on prayer and communion with God? Jesus is our example. You've seen the bracelets many years ago. What would Jesus do? Well, example is, we need to pray. That's what Jesus shows us in the Scripture. Effective prayer is a provision for every good need and a solution for every problem. Listen. Again, effective prayer is a provision for every need and a solution for every problem. Need, not desires. There's a difference. There is a huge difference. This morning, the text that is in front of us will simply guide us and keep it 
simple in our prayer life, especially when you and I may struggle at times. What the Lord teaches us today will hopefully change our attitude and gratitude in our prayer life. One of the interesting things that came across me about five days ago about this prayer that Jesus is teaching us, K-I-S-S, keep it simple, not the other word, keep it simple, silly. That's one thing that I've learned. Jesus models His prayer throughout this. It's simple. The title for this message is, Lord, Teach Us to Pray. The overall theme is, our prayer life should not be difficult, but made simple by... Here's our first point. By praying the model that Jesus laid out for His disciples. In verse 1, Jesus was praying at a certain place, and we don't know that place, but we know that He was in Judea. One of the disciples asked Him to teach all of His disciples on how to pray, like John the Baptist taught His disciples. The disciples recognized that Jesus was a praying man, as I noted earlier, and wanted instruction on how to pray. What a perfect person to ask how to pray to ask the Son of God. And we look at verse 2. Here it is, the start of the Lord's Prayer. I'm sure many of you know, as, as you notice, that this is the shorter version of the Lord's Prayer. As Matt read, it was a more longer version of it. And even growing up, there's a longer version that, I don't know if some had Catholic backgrounds and I had a Lutheran background, it's a little longer. But what Matt read shows us there's more to it. The Lord's Prayer can arguably, arguably call the disciples' prayer or the believer's prayer, can it not? And I tend to believe we should call, I, should, I see it as a believer's prayer. One reason is that Jesus never offered this prayer to God himself because he never needed to ask for forgiveness of sins. He was perfect. He didn't have to ask for forgiveness of sins. And the other reason is what Matt read earlier in Matthew's version, it says, Our Father. Our Father. The purpose, again, of this prayer is to serve as an instructive model for prayer and the model that Jesus shows us. And there are five requests here in the Lord's Prayer or the Believer's Prayer. Before we talk about the five requests, we'll start with the Lord's Prayer with the word Father. When you say Father, as stated as, again in our Father shown, is a possessive phrase in Matthew 6.9. In other words, believers are recognizing that God is their Father. And a lot of times we say God, but then if we say our Father, you see a difference right there? As, as a born-again believing Christian, as a regenerated heart, when I say our Father, that's an intimate relationship that we have with God. And we heard the word Abba before, haven't we not? Abba, Father. This was used by the Jewish children. This emphasizes that prayer life involves intimacy with God. For those of us who are believers, we have the honor and the privilege to communicate to God. That is a huge privilege. That is a huge honor. We are to recognize that. God listens to us. When we call our earthly fathers Father, we are recognizing that we are of Him by being born. For earthly fathers, we are His children. I still call my father Dad. I don't call him by his first name. That's, that's disrespectful. I call him, hey Dad, how's it going? God is the Father of everyone in the sense that He created everyone 
but not in a relational sense. What do I mean by that? Only those who have come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ have the right to become the children of God. As you see in John 1, 11 through 13, it says, He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him. But to all who did receive Him, who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor will of the man, but of God. When we pray, we need to affirm intimately that our Heavenly Father is our one and only true Father. And we address it to Him directly. We don't have to go through a priest. We don't have to go through a pastor to pray to God. Matthew Henry says that in prayer we ought to come to God as children to a father, a common father to us and all mankind, but in a peculiar manner a father to all the disciples of Jesus Christ. Let us therefore in a request both for others and for ourselves come to him with a humble boldness, confiding in his power and goodness. The first request of the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be your name. What does this mean? Hallowed is translated from a verb which means to set apart as holy. We are to regard God as holy. He is set apart from everything else. He is perfect. We are to acknowledge that God is above all that He created. Yes, friends, we're not number one in our life. God is number one. Period. Remember the commandment, you shall not have other gods before me. So when we recognize that God is number one, we go directly to Him in our prayers. To hallow His name is to believe that God is one who has revealed Himself in Holy Scriptures. At times you may see people falling on their knees, and I had in my, t- in my past, and sometimes still do, fall on my knees in reverence to God when I pray. I understand when I do that, when some of you do that, God is revered holy and set apart from everything else. When you fall on your knees, you submit to God. You submit to His holy nature. You come to Him. Just like when people see the Queen, Queen Elizabeth, what happens? They fall on their knees or you see people when they fall on their knees to the Pope. That's earthly people. You serve a sovereign God. The second request, you see, your kingdom come. There are three aspects in this request when we pray and ask your kingdom come. The first aspect, we are recognizing the kingdom in the past as seen in Matthew 8.11 where it reads, I tell you, many will come from the east and west and recline that table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. They're there. We see that Jesus tells us Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are already in the kingdom. What we have now, and here's the second aspect. Jesus did speak as a kingdom being present, as we see in Luke 17, 21. And in Matthew 4, 17, it reads, From that time Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven, is at hand. The kingdom is still with us today. For what? God rules in the hearts of those who believe in Jesus Christ. It's here. It's right now. It's active and living in all of the believers. The third aspect, your kingdom come, relates to the second coming of Jesus Christ. J.I. Packer spells this out. 
In one sense, the kingdom is here now, and Christians are in it. But in another sense, that of perfecting the display of God's grace in this world, the kingdom remains future and awaits Christ's return. The prayer, Thy kingdom come, looks on to that day. But this does not exhaust its meaning. Any request for a new display of God's sovereignty and grace, renewing the church, converting sinners, restraining evil, providing good in this world is a further spelling out of thy kingdom come. If one asks where in the Lord's prayer does general intercession appear, the answer is here. And if one asks why burden oneself with a load of intercession, the answer is because we are taught to pray, thy kingdom come. Third request is shown in verse 3. Give us each day our daily bread. This request shows that our daily needs in life is totally dependent on God. We are totally dependent on God and all that He provides. We are, if you will, the instrument how to get food and how to get shelter, right? We, a lot of times we work for those things. But God provides the way for that. When you ask in prayer that I need a certain job or anything like that, God will provide he opens doors. As in my family, we demonstrated not that long ago. Bread is a general term denoting nourishing and filling food. Thus, the request is food that is necessary to sustain life. Not only food, but includes what? Housing, vehicles, transportation, health, clothing. We are reminded in Scripture not to worry about what we'll eat, drink, and what we will wear, as shown in Matthew 6.25. Do not worry. And if we look at it in spiritual terms and we see that give us this day our daily bread, we look at Jesus Christ, who is what? The bread of life. He is the true bread of life. And we see today, we've seen the pictures of people suffering because they don't have any food. They don't have any clothing. When I, make a, when I made a trip in Thailand many years ago, they were still living in huts. Children were still walking around half naked. And their bathrooms was the nature. And we come back here to the United States of America and we have everything. We've got to give thanks God to that. God supplies us of all of our needs. And the fourth request is probably one of the most important ones I've seen here besides Father and hallowed name is forgive us our sins. This is man's concern, our relationship to God. In asking for forgiveness of sins, a person expresses his faith that God will forgive him. Forgiveness is the most greatest need of every person. We need forgiveness, do we not? I think everybody can raise their hands on that. Our unforgiving sins opens and exposes the soul to divine judgment that leads to eternal punishment without the forgiveness of sins. This request shows the love of God in granting us the forgiveness of sins as Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But God gave us a solution to that. We see that in Colossians 1.13-14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It is through Jesus Christ that we have forgiveness. Redemption came through the cross at Calvary. It is through Jesus Christ that we are delivered from eternal death to eternal life. It is through Jesus Christ that we are delivered from darkness to light. 
Also, which is so fascinating that we can see the forgiveness of sins in this request as a judicial forgiveness of sins at the point of salvation. Here's a caveat, friends. You have to believe in Jesus Christ to receive your forgiveness of sins and to be redeemed and have eternal life. Do you have a saving faith in Jesus Christ this morning? Today is the day to be brought out of the clutches of darkness and the bondage of sin. Why waste the time this morning if you don't have a saving faith in Jesus Christ? I've been thinking off and on here lately that when I go to bed, this might be my last moment in life when I can see everything. It might be the last moment where I'll, I'll tell my wife I love her and tell my kids I love them and I see them. It's the last time I might see my coworkers. It might be the last time I talk to my dad or to my stepmom. It might be the last time I go on Facebook and see my other friends and family. My concern for those who are not saved, don't waste your time. Come to a saving faith today. In fact, I even beg and urge you, come to Christ this morning. Because we have been forgiven, we are to forgive others, as we see in the second part of verse 4, which reads, For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Isn't that hard to forgive people at times? Let's be honest, it is hard. If I remember correctly, uh, Dr. Guy, I think, gave at least a, uh, from the pulpit, he talked about it about maybe a year and a half, two years ago, and even in class. He laid it out perfectly. And it is hard to forgive that somebody that's hurting you. Forgiving others is a sign that we have been forgiven. Matthew six fourteen to 15 says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Forgiving others is, is the result of an evidence of a change, a renewed heart that we have than when we forgive others. And a changed and renewed, renewed mind when we forgive others. This morning, you know, do we need to forgive somebody for something they have done to us in the past? I remember sitting in the seminary, that was one of the hardest classes that we had when we talked about this. Dr. Munseth, who has gone to the Lord today, laid it out right at us. He says, you need to forgive those in the past. And we sat there for an hour and a half, dead silence. He said, you need to pray for those. You need to call somebody. You need to send a mail. Do that. It was hard. The fifth and final request of the Lord's Prayer is, lead us not into temptation. There are three items to know that we see from this final request in the Lord's Prayer. The first one is, we have to understand that God tempts no one. No one. God does not tempt anyone to do evil. Satan is the one who tempts us. We get ourselves in certain situations that get tempted. God does not lead us to a computer and go to a place that we should not go. God does not lead us to a meth house to use meth. God does not lead us to a casino to waste our money away. We do it. God does not. That is why I love what Paul talks about Ephesians is putting on the armor of God. That is so important to do that. Secondly, why pray such a prayer since God does not want people to sin? 
Well, it's simple. This meaning is that Jesus' followers are to pray that they be delivered from situations that would cause them to sin. His disciples, contrary to the law experts, realized that they were easily drawn into sin, and so are we. We need all the help we can get living on this earth. Therefore, as Jesus' followers, we need to ask God for help to live righteous lives. God wants us to be righteous in His sight. God wants us to be holy. We fail. That's why we come to this request, forgiveness of sins. Thirdly, God does test us. How many of you have been tested in the last month? Have you been tested at work? Have you been tested at home with kids? Have you been tested by your spouse? I think we all have. Testing can produce spiritual growth if you don't go fall into that sin. A lot of times God does test us for that reason. He wants to see where our faith is. He wants to see where we are at with Him. And when we fall in sin, that's why we request to God for forgiveness of our sins. Not about you, but when I ask God to forgive me, when I do that C part, confession of sins, one of the things that I see is the cross. And I see the empty cross. Our prayer life should not be difficult, but made simple. Praying the model that Jesus laid out for his disciples. Second point, our prayer life should not be difficult, but made simple by being persistent and intentional in our prayers. We have Jesus teaching two parables following the Lord's Prayer. Based on these two parables, Jesus is telling his disciples and us the deliberate attitude on how we should pray. We can be persistent and intentional in our prayers without being demanding to the one and holy sovereign God. Sometimes how we are in the flesh, we demand something, right? We go, I want it, I need it now. But we can be intentional and persistent to God because we have a loving heart. God knows our hearts. Persistence in prayer is not an attempt to change God's mind, but to get ourselves to the place where He can trust us with the answer. I don't know about you, but if I had a million dollars dropped in my lap, I'm in trouble. Same with us. That's why I don't care to have anything luxurious, because I will not be able to handle it. I know my earthly flesh. I know my desire. I like the Vikings. If I had tons of money, oh, I'm in there for the season tickets right away. But that's not good. I know he's not going to give me that answer. In the first parable, Jesus teaches us to be assistant in our prayers. Verse 8, the word impudence in the ESV, but it also is, means persistence as we see in the NASB. How many of us are persistent to accomplish the things that we like? How many of us are persistent to reach a goal or goals in our life? Are you and I persistent in our prayer life? Again, if Jesus says so, should we, so should we. In the first parable, Jesus did not say that God is like a moody neighbor or an unreachable neighbor. In fact, God said the opposite. If a very tired and selfish neighbor finally meets the needs of an insistent and persistent friend, how much more will a lovingly, heavenly Father give us what we need? God does care. But the problem that I have and that that the world has, even believers, that what I ask for I think God's going to give me what I ask for, what I need. No, 
He gives you what you need to help you out. Sometimes we have stuff placed right in front of us because our desire is something else, but God places it in front of us right there to take. We need to seek that out. In the Lord's Prayer, the prayer is based on sonship, Father, not on friendship. But Jesus used friendship to illustrate persistence in prayer. God the Father is not like this neighbor who never... Who he, God doesn't sleep. God never gets moody or impatient. He may get impatient with us, but He's not ir- irritable. He's always generous on His terms and delights in meeting the needs of His children. God is generous in what He knows and what we need and not to our desires again. Our desires can get us into trouble, can they not? The friend at the door had to keep knocking in, that, in order because being persistent to get what he needed, but God is quick to respond. And could you just imagine that? I know if my neighbor, you know, we got, we got neighbors all around us. Can you imagine that at 2 o'clock in the morning? And for those that have kids and pets, what's your first reaction? Oh, dog, don't start. You'll hear the barking. His persistence paid off. It paid off to that reluctant friend at the, in the house. Be persistent. The word translated persistence and impudence means shamelessness or the avoidance of shame. Based on this persistence can refer to the man at the door who is not ashamed or shameful to wake up his friend. In other words, we should not be shameful to be persistent in prayer. We shouldn't be shameful. God knows our heart. And sometimes in our mind when we're in a situation that we need God's help immediately, sometimes we say some dumb things. But be persistent. God knows our heart. Second parable, Jesus is teaching us to be intentional in our prayer life. Verse 9 gives us the reasons why we can be intentional, even bold in our prayers. Verse 9 has three imperatives on how to be intentional in prayer. These are ask, seek, and knock. To ask means to to ask with urgency, even to the point to demand and to plead for. In other words, we have many prayers that are lifted up in an urgency, especially in crisis situations. We get those emails from here at Mount Free Church when somebody needs an important email. We have friends, we have family that we get a text or Facebook message or a phone call We need an urgent prayer. We at times can demand with boldness to ask God in prayer without a demanding heart. We can plead to God in prayer, especially in times of mercy. I remember that one time there was that big tsunami that happened many years ago. Where was it? In India? I can't remember the name of that, that place. I remember there was missionaries that, that we knew, not dying, but the seminaries that, that we prayed with urgency to God. A lot of times we need to be urgent in our prayers. We need to plead to God in prayer. Plead with God. It's okay. To seek simply means to try to learn where something is, to look for to, or to try to find. In our prayers, we are to seek God's kingdom. And righteousness for Matthew 6, 32, 33 says, For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God 
and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. In our prayers, we need to bring seeking of the things above. Colossians 3.1 If you then have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. In our prayers, we are to, are to seek seeking of justification. Galatians 2.17 reads and follows, But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law I died to law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Knock. Knock is simply what it says to be knocking. You you knock. What does that mean? To knock with boldness is not a soft knock when we come into prayer intentionally and boldly. I remember you, some of us that have been in an older generation, and myself, I remember those big old door knockers that used to be on people's doors. Big ones, and you just hit it once, it was so loud. Boom. Boom. A person in the house knew somebody was knocking at the door. That would wake you up. Knocking along with seeking emphasizes the material content of asking. The point is not the general one when we pray, that we may count on an answer or that action is a presupposition of fulfillment, but the specific one that God's soul promised of salvation gives us believers the assurance of faith that when we knock the door, it will be open and access made possible. We have direct access to God because of what Jesus did on the cross. The promises of God is shown here in this parable, and here we have to take note that the Heavenly Father gives His children what is good for us and not what harms us. But we've got to be intentional in our prayer. Jesus encourages us to ask God. Jesus noted that natural fathers give good food to their children rather than something that would harm them. Some fish may look like a serpent, and the body of a large scorpion could be mistaken for an egg. How much more will the Heavenly Father give what is good to His children? Remember, it's what God, it's His, our needs are met, not what we desire. We are to continually, I keep saying this, we are to continually with intentionality and boldness to ask, seek, and knock in our prayers. We are to keep on asking. We are to keep on knocking. We are to keep on seeking. Because I mean, we have certain events in our life that we need to keep asking. We need to be keep knocking. We need to do this. We need to keep doing that. A lot of times I'm guilty as anybody else is, all right, I knocked on the door. I said, boldly, Father God, help me in this situation. Help my father. Help my whoever. And that person's healed or whatever. And then we forget about it. And then we come back to God later and there's another crisis. But you know what? Let's keep on intentionally asking God and with boldness, but from a loving heart. James is pretty good here in this, in this verse that he, he rebukes us for not praying boldly. He says, you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly 
to spend it on your passions. We need to write the ask things boldly and with intentionality. Third point for this morning, our prayer life should not be difficult but made simple by praying for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Verse 13 reads, If you then who are evil, how do you give good gifts to your children? How much more will the Heavenly Father ask, Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? That's interesting, is it not? I had to read that ten times so I could get a grasp on that verse. The first half of verse 13 is, is to the affirmation of the sinfulness of all mankind. Romans 3, 9 says, What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. Romans 3, 23, of course, For all have sinned and fought short of the glory of God, as we read earlier. We can have good gifts that we give to our children, even though we sin. That's what the evil is talking about. Even though we are saved through grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, we still sin. But there's a much better gift that we see here in verse 13. And that's to pray for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. As I mentioned earlier with the Lord's Prayer, it can be called the disciples or believers' prayer. Believers do not need to pray to receive the Holy Spirit. We don't have to pray for that. You know why? Ephesians lays that out. One, Ephesians 1, 13-14. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Right there, we were sealed. Holy Spirit's in us for eternal inheritance. So why is this, why is this here? Father, give the Holy Spirit to us because here it is. In Matthew 7, 11, we have to look back to that. Here's part of that. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven, here it is, give good things to those who ask Him. The Holy Spirit's not mentioned here. We've got to combine them together. The good things is what the Holy Spirit does for, does for us and produces through us and out of us. The Holy Spirit gives us what? Comfort. The Holy Spirit gives us power. The Holy Spirit is our helper and to teach us about Jesus and to remember all that Jesus has taught us. The Holy Spirit will guide us in all truth. And in Galatians 5, 22-25, says of the fruit of the Spirit in which the Holy Spirit produces in born-again believers, it reads, but the fruit of the Spirit is what? We know this a lot. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with His passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Pray for that outpouring of the Holy Spirit, for the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, keeping in step with the Spirit, not to become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Pray for that. Pray that the Holy Spirit will lead you through that, the outpouring of love that you have, because you are born again. Pray for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, who is our helper, our comforter, who gives us the power and leads us in truth. We are to pray for the outpouring, the good things of the Holy Spirit. I know sometimes I forget that 
pray that stuff for the Holy Spirit. Give me that love and patience that I need to make it through today. We need to be asking that. It's okay. Our prayer life should not be difficult, but made simple by praying the model that Jesus laid out for His disciples. Our prayer life should not be difficult, but made simple by being persistent and intentional in our prayers. Our prayer life should not be difficult, but made simple by praying for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Here's my encouragement to you. Like I follow the Acts model, many of you do here too. Look at this text today and kind of create a model that you have that you can follow this. You have the Lord's Prayer. You have the two parables and you have the Holy Spirit. What more do you need in these prayers? You do have the Trinity in this section. you got our Father. you got Jesus Christ teaching us this. And you have the Spirit at the end. What more do you need? We have the power of the Trinity to help us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do give you thanks and praise for today. Father, we do thank you. Um, God, we, we just sometimes we, we don't know what to say to you in our prayer life, but, but Father, thank you that through your Son that he has taught us to pray and how to pray. Father, embolden us to pray more. Embolden us to be more bold at times and be intentional. And Father, it, it, this is all done to your glory because we come to you as, as children. And God, we do thank you and we give you the glory that you deserve because you give us the stuff that we need to sustain life here on this earth. Again, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.